Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. I'm joined as always by Jack Davies. How are we doing, fella? Yeah, mate, buzzing for the new season. Um, it started with the signings, so looking forward to the discussion today. Yep, and we have a very special guest on today. Our guest is Tom Overend. Some listeners might recognise him or recognise his voice from a certain video that went viral after we lost the FA Cup final. It went on all your social medias. It probably ended up in a few group chats. Tom is also the owner of All Things Chelsea. Tom, how are we doing today, man? I'm good. The streets, it seems the streets won't forget that video, despite me wanting them to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Now, Tom, I just mentioned you're the owner of All Things Chelsea. For any people who are out there who don't know what All Things Chelsea is, do you want to give the listeners a bit of info about what it is you guys do there? Yes, yeah, so allthingschelsea.blog. Um, Please look it up. It's got all Chelsea opinion, news, views, all the latest we try and get on there. Um, we're on the app as well, so hopefully it'll be one of the first places you go. But if anyone also wants to write or blog for us, let me know over Twitter or they can contact you guys with the pod as well. Um, but yeah, we're trying to, get, trying to get a really professional site going before the new season. Exciting, exciting stuff. Look, I will just say there's, on Twitter, there's a lot of brilliant content creators out there you've got you yourselves you've got guys at sw6 there's so many people with brilliant podcasts as well so make sure you guys all check them out now the first topic i want to discuss today chelsea's been very busy in the transfer window lads um some might say that marina saw tom's video and decided we can't have any more of that next season so we've got to act but chelsea have completed as i call them the fantastic five we've signed ben chilwell tiago silva Kai Havertz and, of course, Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech. Now, boys, Kai Havertz finally got announced 
after probably one of the longest sagas going around. We all knew it was going to happen, but announced Havertz seemed to be never ending for weeks on end. Um, Jack, he's the most recent signing, uh, probably the one the fan base most excited for. How excited are you to see Kai Havertz in a Chelsea shirt? Very, very excited, mate. Um, versatile player from what I've seen, can play centre mid, play 10. He's played up front even this year when Boland was um, injured. Can play on the wings as well. And I think he's got a bit of a presence about him. I think is he's six foot two, something like that, I think. Uh, good in the air. So he seems like very all-round. I think a lot of people refer to it one-in-a-generation type, type of player. Um, so hopefully he'll take the Prem by storm. Um, had a quality season this year, 45 games and 27 goal contributions, 18 goals and nine assists. Um, so, yeah, very lo looking forward to it very much. And I was just going to say, I found, found, I think it was, is it Con CFC on Twitter said, said something like, he was like a Christmas present, you know you're getting, but you couldn't open it until Christmas Day. And that, I found that funny. That was definitely, definitely uh, resonated with me with that one because we've literally been waiting all summer for that. And for him to, for him to go and leave the German camp to get the deal done on Friday, I think definitely shows something about his character, wanting to be at Chelsea and hopefully he'll have uh, many successful seasons with us. Yeah, exactly. You know, I remember you and I mentioning, you know, on a very, one of our earliest pods at the start where the season was going on, you know, what we could look like with Havertz in our starting eleven. It's now, you know, it's official now and it's very exciting. Um, Tom, Kai Havertz comes in. It's a team that, you know, we've, bemoan at times last season the lack of creativity in our side obviously you know we've also signed Hakim Ziyech as well but how big an impact can Kai Havertz have do you think in that midfield you know where we've seen you know Mason come in and do all right last year but we've you know it's his first season and we've obviously at times been frustrated with him and we all know that Kovacic's strength isn't necessarily you know in the final third so how big a signing is Kai Havertz just for you know sort of trying to replace the goals and assists from midfield, but we've never really replaced with Frank Lampard. Wow. Well, Kai Havertz is, well, when you hear pundits say, and I don't mean pundits, by the way, I mean top voices in German football, like uh, Hernigstein, Felt, people like that, saying that this guy can be one of the top three best footballers in the world. And if he fulfills his potential, should be one of the top three best footballers in the world. You have the right to be excited because the guy is clearly the sky's the limit for him. So he comes in and I think what's great is he can do goals from midfield. But if we need a bit more firepower from him, we can put him a bit further forward. If we've got an injury problem on the wings, we can put him on the wings. If, you know, our three strikers ahead of him get injured, we can put him up front. And it's a sort of attacking player that is a coach's dream because it's top quality and you know he'll perform wherever you put him. And that's, I think, the reason why Havertz is particularly exciting because you look at Ziyech, amazing player, I really like him. And yes, he, can, he, he says he can play as an eight, but he's mainly a winger. You've got Werner, who, yes, again can play on the left but is mainly a striker but 
then with Havertz, you've got a little bit of everything here and there. And that can really, really, really change things for us in a good way. Yeah, no, great point. So, Tom, I was going to actually ask you, what signing are you most excited about out of the ones we've made so far? So I've been asked this, I think, on, on two or three different things. I think I've given a different answer on each pod. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I think we're on to Ben Chilwell now. Instead, um, <laughs> uh, on, on on a genuine level, I've said Werner, but I, I I don't. To be honest with you, and the way I look at signings, particularly in the window like this, I don't want to put expectation on one particular player because I think it's perfectly reasonable, particularly without a preseason, for somebody to have a slightly slow start. And if, if any one of them has a slow start or if all of them have slow starts, it's not something we should kind of be concerned about. But I think keeping expectation on, on any one of them, I don't think it's worth it. I'm sure we will see one or two of them take the Premier League by storm. But what I think a really exciting part of it is I couldn't tell you which one or two because they all have the potential to do it. Um, so I'm excited for them all. And... I'm ready to obviously give them time, but I'm sure that some of them won't need it. Yeah, no, that's a very good answer uh, there. We, you know, also one of the big, I guess, one of the biggest issues Chelsea have had for well, last season was the defence. We've gone and signed Ben Chilwell at left-back. We've signed Thiago Silva at centre-back. Jack, how big a difference do you think that can make to this defence? Just, you know... Obviously, last year, watching us defend at times was a hide-behind-the-sofa job. It was embarrassing at times. It was, it was honestly a comedy show at times, to be honest. So how big do you think those two signings are to bolstering our defence and improving and going up in the right direction next year? Oh, absolutely, absolutely huge, mate. Um, someone like Chilwell. I know people were, some people wanted Taglafico or Regulion, I think from Real Madrid but honestly I think I think Chilwell the experience he has of playing in the Prem already he's already got I think 99 appearances in the Prem 123 appearances overall for Leicester and he came in uh, and made his debut in the cup for Leicester in that 15-16 season so he's come into a team that went and won the league that year he knows what it's like to be in a team that the mentality is to win so I just think the experience he has, I personally think he's a better option than the other two. Um, and uh, his like style of play, how he loves to get forward, but he can also defend at the same time, unlike our other left-back. Um, that will always be a good asset to have. And then Thiago Silva, um, I, was, I was honestly really happy when that one went through. I know he's 35 years old and people, and he turns 36 in this month, I think. People will point the, point the finger and uh, have a few questions about that. But is he better than what we've got? 100%. So I think for a year contract and possibly another 12 months, that is a risk worth taking on a free transfer, all we've got to pay is his wages. I know he'll have high wages, but it's nothing Roman can't afford. So that doesn't really matter. And the calibre of him, the player he is, you've only got to see John Terry comment when, uh, when we signed him and comment under his photos and say, I would have loved to have played with you to know how well respected he is within the game. Um, 
and he's an actual leader. I know we've got Aspi. I know Nick, you've referred to him as a, a like social media captain, PR captain in the past. Um, and Thiago Silva is someone that breeds a leader. Um, he's won countless trophies. I think he's won 23 trophies and 18 of them were major honours. Serial winner. And I think for the younger players like Tamori, um, he could be such a good uh, asset for the team to help those boys improve uh, for their future careers too. So I think they're top signings, but at the same time, we still, still need to uh, sort out the goalkeeper position, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that is perhaps one glaring omission so mm. far. Um, Tom, get your thought. Obviously, I know, you know, from seeing you on Twitter, you were quite a big fan of uh, Regulon. Riggy on, sorry. Um, what was it about him per se that made you, you know, su- such a fan? Because obviously, I, I personally hadn't actually seen that much of him till the Europa League resumed. Um, what was it about him that you were quite fond of? So there are lots of things actually. Um, the first thing, and I will say, and I'm not going to use this to get out of a hole. The main thing I saw was the price, and I think he was being touted for around 23, 24 million. For a player of his ability, I think that's a steal in today's market. I thought Regulon was, again, a bit like Chilwell, brilliant going forward, um, really solid. Every time I see him, he's, he's creating things, building. A little bit like, and, and I know it's a horrible comparison because I have people telling me it's not exactly flattering, but a bit like Emerson's link-up with Eden Hazard when it was going well under Sarri. Yeah. Uh, but what I saw most importantly in Region was the fact that I, I saw a bit more defensive stability, a bit more experience because he's played, he played what a season pretty much at left back for Real Madrid. He then went on loan to Sevilla. Um, I think unlucky to be um, siphoned off from that Madrid squad in favour of Fernand Mendy. Um, goes to Sevilla out on loan. He's voted the best best left back in La Liga, playing for a side that's not a top side. And as much as I rate Chilwell, he wasn't and he never has been the standout player in the league at his current stage in development. Do I think he can become that? Absolutely. But Regulon, for the amount it was being touted and the, the fact that he's already gone out, been the best in La Liga, Spain obviously like their fullbacks pushing quite high, that really did excite me and was a reason why I was personally in favour of Regulon. But, and I will say this because it's something I say on Twitter a lot, doesn't mean I won't support Chilwell, doesn't mean I have an agenda against him or I hate him. It was just personal preference. And Chilwell now, he's a Chelsea player, he will always have my full support. Yeah, I have no, to get that out there because again, yeah. I'll get called stupid otherwise. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely get that. Look, and I'm sh- look, I've been, Chelsea have been linked with um, Edouard Mendy, the Stad Rene keeper. I've been quite vocal on this podcast saying I quite like Andre Onana, but obviously, if Mendy does come, I would obviously give him our full backing, as I think we should. Any player that puts on the Chelsea shirt should get our full backing. Um, we also mentioned Thiago Silva, you know, the age factor will just remind people John Terry arguably played his best ever season of his career when he was 35 in the Premier League under Jose, won, won the league in 14-15. Um, he also played in the Champions League final recently for PSG at 35, so he's still 
got it. How big an impact do you think he can have, perhaps in shifting the culture in the dressing room? Because we've lost, over the years, we've lost the leaders. And I think, you know, Frank's tried to get it back. But it's, you know, a young squad don't necessarily have that winning mentality, that top culture that we need of the club. How big an impact do you think he can have, not necessarily on the pitch, but also off the pitch? So I would say with, with regards to Thiago, he is a born leader and there's no way out of that. You know, he's won the Confederations Cup with Brazil. He's won everything under the sun with PSG other than uh, the Champions League or Europa League. Uh, won the Serie A with um, AC Milan next to, I think it was Nesta. The guy is, you know, has got as esteemed a record as you can get. What I will say, because again, I think people are expecting a hell of a lot of him. The guy um, doesn't speak English at the moment. And it's not going to be the sort of player, you know, he's got a leader has got to communicate with his entire back line and, I will just say as a kind of word of warning, I'm not going to expect him to suddenly turn into prime um, prime John Terry, for instance, as a leader, because that's just not realistic. And I'm not saying he's not as good as Terry at his prime. I'm not saying anything like that. But I'm just simply kind of managing people's expectations on Tiago, which are really, really high, as, you know, I think they should be high. But I, But all I would say is, Let's see. He'll definitely bring leadership, but don't expect too much because a guy doesn't even speak English at the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a fair point. Look, if he can just organise our back line so, you know, it looks semi-competent next year, I will take that gladly because watching Antonio Ruiga try and organise a defence at times yeah. isn't the greatest. I mean, even if he doesn't speak English, he's going to shout at them, whatever. So... I think I think it's perfect. Obviously, you need him to speak English and start learning it. But someone makes Rudiger, Ru- 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 for example, makes a mistake. He's he's not gonna let him off like some of our other defenders do this this season. He's gonna fucking have a massive go at them and tell them you're playing shit or you're in the wrong position, etc. So I think in yeah. terms of that, will be good to bring to the table. Something, something I will say as well about the two signings that I think is quite important. It means that Lampard isn't stuck now with defenders that can play only or much better in a back three. If you look at Marcos Alonso, great in a back three, or very good in a back three, pretty poor in a back four, if we're honest, defensively. Tony Rudiger, I think people don't necessarily give him enough credit for how he plays in a three. I think he's a pretty solid defender in a three, if we're honest. But again, makes that excuse, oh, I only play in a three, or you know, looks really poor in a four. Again, Thiago Silva's played in a four 95% of his career, apart from a little bit at PSG. Uh, Chilwell's only really played in a four. Um, Again, maybe very, very briefly at Leicester, they went to three. And that leadership means that I don't think defenders can, can hide behind the, oh, but I only play in X shape. Because Lampard tried every shape under the sun last season. But this season... He's not going to have, and the players aren't going to have that excuse to fall back on, I don't think. Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. We saw Frank at times, Pat's also sometimes be a bit reactionary to defeats, and if something worked, maybe try it one too many times. But obviously, we've now signing players for this project, but hopefully he can start to build his own identity. Because I think, you know, we, we are quite critical of Lampard last year, you know, if it perhaps changed the team too much. 
but it wasn't his team. He tried to mould it, but a lot of those players weren't his players. And I think now we're backing him, which is one for me, the most positive thing out of this is, while I might not necessarily, I was also not necessarily like you, the biggest advocate for Chilwell coming in, but he was Frank's man and I'm glad we backed him. And for me, that's the most important thing, but we're actually backing a manager and delivering the targets that he wants. Right, the other two signings, they were announced earlier on. Hakim Ziyech was the first one, Timo Werner the second. Look, I'll be honest, Hakim Ziyech, I was a big fan of ever since I watched Ajax's run in the Champions League uh, in the 18-19 season, where they just blew teams apart and Ziyech was just superb, I thought. Um, in terms of, you know, the creativity and but also the delivery, because watching Chelsea over the years, watching Willian take corners at times has been quite painful. <laughs> with Tom's, Tom's expressions there just say it all with someone like Hakim Ziyech getting that set piece delivery more importantly I mean we saw it first hand at Stamford Bridge uh, last season in the 4-4 with Ajax how big an impact is just the improvement in set piece delivery going to be to this team uh, Tom I'll give that to you his first corner at the Amex by the way Hakim Ziyech straight into the first man so <laughs> some things never change that. I do like the fact that Chelsea organised a tribute act to Willian just for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was forced on him, but I, again, I don't want to overhype him because people, I remember when Willian came in, and I'm a, I'm a fan of Willian. I like Willian. Oh, we are fans as well of Willian too, don't worry. I like Willian. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, let's see. Let's hope. Let's hope that those two that went in at Stamford Bridge weren't some fluke. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go into any more depth than that at, the, at this moment. Fair enough. In terms of, I guess, Hakim Ziyech, the player, what excites you most about him, Tom? Well, um, I think it's his excitement, his trickery. I, I don't like overly skillful players because, you know, William would do it. He'd just spin the ball above his foot and then lose the ball. But Ziyech seems to have that magic. He can do it. Um, I think it's the fact he's a creator. He he makes assists. He scores goals, and that as much as we've 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 had a good service from Willian and from Pedro, we've not seen enough of that. I would argue uh, Hazard was the only man that really did do enough of that. Um, and we got kind of a second talisman in, so we got Pulisic in anyway, um, and now we've got Ziyech as well, who both of which will provide a really much boosted output than sort of Willian and Pedro would do. And I'd say it's the first time in, in quite a while we've had two really good wingers on both sides. Um, obviously more if you include Havertz, Hudson Adoy as well. So yeah, that's what particularly excites me about Hakim Ziyech um, coming into Chelsea next season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It sort of felt well Hazard was here. It was, he was the star man on one wing and it was a lottery, really. It was Pedro or Willian. And on their day, they could be unplayable. But unfortunately, their day didn't happen enough. Uh, Jack, what is it about Hakim Ziyech that excites you the most? Um, pretty similar to what Tom's already alluded to. But I think in the modern modern day football, what I like to pay my money towards going to watch games is someone of the type of player Ziyech is. I like that creativity that he can do that one in a million pass, something a bit different to everyone else. Um, 
bit like a Messi. That's probably why people like Messi so much. It's the it's the things they can do on the ball that most other players can't. Uh, that excites me the most. Um, and he's got a wicked left foot, so I can't wait to see that as a fellow lefty myself. Fair enough. Fair enough. The final signing, perhaps you know, one of the most important signings as well, is a signing of another striker. Obviously, last year it was. Tammy leading the line pretty much the whole for the first half of the season anyway until Giroud, you know, finally really got given that fair proper chance and got us over the line into the top four. But we've got Timo Werner, who is, well, just a very, very exciting player to have at the club. That pacing behind, you know, the versatility again. We're talking a, a common theme on all these signings so far is the versatility within them. He's fresh off a brilliant season at Leipzig, Tom. Timo Werner, can he be the man to lead? I get, I'm wary of saying it because I don't want to get expectations up too up. But can he be the man to lead a title charge next year potentially? I I, I have no expectations of a title charge this coming season, by the way. Um, but do I think he 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 will lead us to a title charge? Absolutely, yes. Um, again, I, I want to temper expectations a little bit because again, he's played mainly with a strike partner at Leipzig. Um, I know he's played on his own with Germany and scored a bit, but I don't want to get people saying he's the finished article yet. He's not. He's one of the best in Europe, and that's why he was sought after by United, Liverpool, City. So, of course, he's a great player, but he isn't the finished article. Don't expect a season of 30 goals next season, because lo and behold, it won't happen. He is, he's going to be one of the best. And he, he already is one of the best, I would say. Probably the best on the market for what we paid. And one of the best strikers in Europe, again, no doubt about it. Um, and I think, yes, he is going to be the linchpin of leading us to a title charge, especially given that we have two very good backups. We've got Giroud, who is a target man, does a completely different thing to Werner, really, um, even though Werner can hold up. And you've got uh, Tammy, who's more similar to Werner. Um, most would say, and I would agree, not as good at this stage. But with the competition, I think it, it'll, be, it'll be a nice way of easing him in. The expectation won't be as high as it necessarily has been for Morata, Higuain, um, Diego Costa. Even though actually Costa did it well. So, yeah, um, I think he definitely can. But... As I say, I, I'm not expecting a title charge next season. No, no, I'm. It's just you know, I'm just throwing throwing the question out there. I like you. I'm just you know hoping we can build on the positives from last season. It's you know it's going to take time. I think people do need to realise that. Um, Jack, uh, Timo Werner, that you know we've been crying out really for a top top regular goal scorer since Costa left. You know, Morata. Sold us some some dreams with a, with the start he had with us, uh, and it never really worked. And I mean, the less said about Gonzalo Higuain, the better, really. Uh, <laughs> Timo Werner, that you know, what is it that excites you most, fam? I guess definitely his pace. Yeah, I think he can cause a lot of defenders this year some big problems. Um, yeah, that that's what sticks out most to me when I've watched him play. Just how he can get in behind, beat people, and has scored a lot of goals. I think he's. I think he got thirty-six goal contributions this season in thirty-four games. So 
it shows he can. I think he got twenty eight goals and eight assists, so he scores goals, but he can also create goals as well as a striker, which don't always see. I don't think. Um, yeah, and like you say, just we're just crying out for someone that can just stick it in the net and hopefully, hopefully get fifteen plus twenty goals this season. Um, we'll have to see, but for the fee we paid for him, uh, that was an absolute bargain. I think. Um, and how we managed to get sixty million for Morata and only pay forty nine for him is cracking business from the club and the board. Yeah, well, I think you know we should, I suppose, pay a bit of credit to uh, to Marina. She is, you know, <laughs> one of the fiercest negotiators out there in world football. I mean, look, we signed Hakim Ziyech for just over thirty million, and it looks like we're going to recover about thirty million for for Bakayoko. We got Werner for, as you said, fifty odd mil, and we we sold Morata for 60. Chilwell was being linked to 80, you know, it's going to be a similar price to what United paid yeah. for Maguire and we got him for 50. And Havertz, you know, the price got down as well. Just, I guess, Tom, how much credit, you know, because people were losing, people were getting frustrated, you know, it was like, why is it taking so long? They don't necessarily understand all, you know, what goes on behind trying to, behind the transfers. But you've on Twitter, obviously you've been, you know, very full of your praise for, for Marina how good a job do you think she has done? But also how much credit do you think should go to Petr Cech? Because, you know, obviously in the past, she has also been the one responsible for sanctioning the purchases of other flops, albeit, you know, they were wanted by previous managers. So, yeah, Marina is is a case of somebody who I've, I've spoken a bit about. I, I think she's always been one of the best negotiators. I don't think anyone can doubt that. And I don't think also necessarily she's had the power that lots of people have said. I don't think she chooses the players that you potentially sign. I think she might put, give the final stamp of approval if, um, you know, she thinks a player is too much or, or not great value. She might have some say on that. But I don't think she's ever had a great deal of say on, I think we should go for X. I think we should buy Y, you know. So... I think we praise her for all the work this window. It's been outstanding, all the deals you've listed. Um, but again, I wouldn't say it's over the top. I think Czech's done a great deal in choosing the targets, getting top targets, and that's really important. And similarly, when it was bad with Marina, when we were getting your Bakiokos, your drink waters, um, Iguains, dare I say it, I don't think that was all her fault either. She was told to go for them by either Eminalo or whoever else at the club. And she got them at the best deal she could get. And for instance, with Drinkwater, Leicester were playing hardball. So yeah, Marina deserves a lot of praise. But yes, Czech's sense of direction and fluidity in the market is definitely, I'd say, a more important reason why we're getting all these targets at the moment. Yeah, uh, Jack, also just a quick word on Frank Lampard's pool power. Not bad, eh? Pretty much every single interview yeah. with all these players that you've seen, they go, I spoke to Frank Lampard, or I watched, you know, and I was sold on this project, i really excited to be here, or I watched Frank Lampard as a kid, I can't wait to now play under him. There's no, you know, I don't want to, sl- you know, slag Conte off, because I was a big, big Conte fan, but that man's pool power was atrocious. I remember being linked to the likes of Ashley Barnes, Peter Crouch, on January transfer deadline day. So how, you know, how, I guess, great is it that we've got a manager with pool power, but also 
Pear Check in that technical director role and we've got an actual vision of a club which we haven't really seemed to have for a number of years. Can I just say Lee Parker loves posing that question to all the players though. <laughs> he loves probing it. Frank's just uh, like says yet yeah, Lee, there you go. Yeah. No, it you just can't compare it like Tom alluded to some of those signings three years ago we were getting Zappa Costa, Drinkwater, Maratta, Bakayoko. And the difference is just ridiculous. Um, and I think that is mostly down to the manager. Of course, Marina is the negotiator, I guess. I don't really know. Um, but who the club targets and actually can achieve um, trying to get to come to the club, I think is mostly down to the manager. They're the one that speaks to the player. They're the one that sells them what the plan is at the club for the future. Because most of these players want to sign these big contracts for five four or five years um, and it's just it's just down to Lampard as a player how how many people we've heard say even in the Spurs documentary Ericsson says to Mourinho what was Lampard like as a guy and Jose just says how professional he was just tunnel vision on being the best he could be and all these players have seen that all these young players were like us growing up at the time seeing him as one of the best players and for him to then get on the get on the buzzer to them and go, I want you at my club, has just got to be a massive confidence boost for those players as well. I think hearing someone like that of that caliber say, I want you to come, um, yeah. So he he's literally been instrumental in all of those signings um, coming to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, no wise words. I think I've just. Pose a, a quick question before we have a little break. Um, Tom, can you remember the last time you were this excited by a, by a Chelsea team going into a new season? Because honestly, like 14-15, I remember Fabregas signing, Costa signing, and you thought, okay, here we go. But this just seemed sort of another level to that. No, I'm, I'm going to say 14-15. Again, I, call me a dampener, but I'm going to temper expectations. That team was ready to win the league. I'm yeah, not that's sure true. Yet, so yeah, it's good, and it's the best best window we've had in years. But we're not out; we're not going to be out of this world immediately. So yeah, fourteen, fifteen is our best window since then. Yeah, that's fair definitely. enough. I definitely, I definitely agree with what Tom said there. That that fourteen, fifteen team with those two additions was gunning for the title straight away. But I think you just have to give credit for the amount of signings and who they are. It's definitely been the best window I can remember in terms of the signings we've made and the amount of them. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you can only give the window an eight or nine out of 10 at the moment until they've gone and got a goalkeeper. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone who's listened to this for the first time, Jack and I have literally been on and on about Chelsea signing the keeper. We, we sort of, you know, we're not sold by Kepa. We'll be kind to him. We're not sold by him. Uh, we don't necessarily think he's good enough. Um, Right, thanks for listening so far. We'll be back in a sec for part two. Okay, welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. We're now going to try and make some quick fire predictions on how we think Premier League is going to go. Jack, I'm going to start with you. Who do you think the three teams are that's going to be relegated this season? Um, West Brom, Gunners, uh, Fulham, and I want Burnley to go. Fair enough. Mm. Tom? 
Now this is, this is, it's always tough. And I think I always get, I always get this wrong. I don't know I said, I've ever called yeah. the three relegated sides correctly. Well, I said Sheffield United would go down and Norwich would stay up last year. So you're fine. <laughs> Weirdly, like, I, as much as I don't think Fulham's squad that is that good, I think they've got much better management than they did um, before. Um, Scott Parker is a much better, much better manager for the club than Jukanovic and then Ranieri and then um, well, and Parker came in after that. Um, Palace looked really bad by the end of last season, but it seems that all Hodgson teams seem to just get to forty points and then go to the beach and do whatever they want. Um, so I'm going to say Villa for the first team, definitely. West Brom haven't really invested, but then Slaven Bilic is a good manager. I do like Bilic. Um, I'm dithering a lot here. Um, I think... Quick fire. <laughs> oh, God, no, 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 no. I did, I did have someone else who I wanted to go as well. Um, so, no, I, I will say... West Brom. Oh, this is horrible. West Brom, Aston Villa, and um, I'm not going to say Burnley because um, I don't think they will. I'm going to go. Don't, I don't think they will, but I want them to want them to go. So I'm saying them. Um... <laughs> I'm going to go with a weird shout, and I'll get slated for it if if it goes wrong, and it inevitably will go wrong. Sheffield United. Ooh, that's a big shout. That's a big shout. But we've, you know, we've sort of seen it happen. What a team has a brilliant first season in the league, and they never replicate it again. So, Ipswich made the UEFA Cup and then went down the next year. Burnley came very close to doing it after getting the Europa League in, um, I think it was a couple of years ago now. Yeah, I can just see because they play such a rigid system. I could just see if teams figure them out, they could really struggle if they don't uh, if they don't bring in good players. Also, with you know, obviously Dean Henderson going, I know Ramsdale's good, but I think I, th- I think they might struggle. And 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 again, I inevitably will be very wrong, um, and I will get stated. But if I'm right, it'll sound quite good. So a very, very good shout. Uh, I'm going to say West Brom. Also, I just despise West Brom. Um, don't like him. I just, I just remember I was at a game. It was the season we had uh, that horrible season. We came 10th. We oh, drew yeah. them two all at the bridge. Sure. Anthony Taylor was the ref. Oh, no, don't. Jack, Jack will remember this because we had a little group chat and I called it the Anthony Taylor Disappreciation Society. So the hatred on Anthony Taylor started back then. But I just... I'm the life president of that society. <laughs> Tom, you could be honorary life president for sure. But that I remember. 850,000 hits at video <laughs> slating him. And then, um, and then I, I just remember Bert Myhill just knee sliding in front of the Chelsea fans and Matthew Harding Lur when West yeah. Brom equalised. So from that day on, I just despised West Brom. So I won them down. Um, Fulham, despite the fact they try and force a rivalry with us, I actually wish them well. I'd like them to stay up. I just don't think they'll be good enough. Mm-hmm. I think they, you know, it looks like they're going to have a more sensible approach than last time, but I just don't think their squad is going to be good enough. And the thing is, Mitrovic seems to be able to get goals in the championship, but not the premiership. So that'll be an interesting one. As for 18th, I'm going to say West Ham. Oh, I'd love it if they go down. Yeah. They lost 5-3 to Bournemouth in a friendly yesterday. They've 
great. Their players are openly criticising them, letting Grady, Dean Ganga go to West Brom. You know, Mark Noble's not happy. Declan Rice will see what happens there. But that would be a good just, way for him to come, wouldn't it? They just go seem down. a club in trouble. And they seem to... You know what will happen with West Ham? And, and it happens every single year. They'll start the season, and, and particularly given that they've got Moyes, they'll play dire football. They'll look absolutely rubbish. And then they'll sat the manager and somehow get someone really good in. Somehow. Um, suddenly he'll do well, keep them up. The next season, you know, the, the exciting manager gets him in a bad way, sack him, put in like a Moyes or an Allardyce, rinse and repeat year after year after year. And I hate seeing it, but I, oh, West Ham are one of my least favourite clubs, if you haven't already noticed. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to say West Ham. They just give me Sunderland vibes of keep like, you know, fighting relegation and eventually it will catch up with them. So that's what I'm going to go with. I'd, I'd love they're... to see him go down. Um, next, I'm going to predict who qualifies for the Europa League. Now, traditionally, it is fifth, sixth and seventh. Obviously, that wasn't the case this year due to Arsenal finishing eighth, but winning the FA Cup. But, uh, Jack, who do you think is going to qualify for the Europa League this season? Um, I've gone for a big call here. Okay. Um, I'm going United fifth, Spurs Ooh. sixth and Wolves seventh. Ooh, that's a good shout, Bat. I'll go... Yeah, ball, ballsy shout. <laughs> so I'll go, I think, I actually think there's only going to be two English teams in the Europa League because I actually think Tottenham are going to win the Europa League this year under That's Mourinho. True. I hope I'm wrong, but I sadly don't think I will be. Um, so I'm going to go Arsenal in fifth. Tottenham in sixth, but winning the Europa League, so yeah. not in the Europa League, and Wolves or Everton in seventh. Okay, that's a very interesting show. Everton on paper looking like they've done some very good business yeah. this summer, but I will just remind people it looked like they'd done that in the summer of 2017 and they all turned out to be pretty awful business, but we'll awful. wait and see. Uh, as for me, I'm going to go Arsenal, or Spurs fifth, Arsenal sixth, Wolves seventh. I've, I think Leicester, Europa League will be too much for them. And I think they'll drop off. I don't see them repeat getting close to what they achieved last season. And given how drastically they fell off at the end as well, I think there might be a bit of a hangover from that going on. Do you think Leicester can win the Europa League? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was really blunt, wasn't it? I was, no, I... It's tough. I think it depends on the draw because I look at who we drew on our way to the Europa League last year and we didn't play anyone decent until the semi-finals. They could have we beat everyone that we beat. Yeah. 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 And then Arsenal in the final where it was Arsenal under Emery. Whereas United, you know, I mean, if, you, if Leicester gets someone like Sevilla, who are Europa League specialists, that's just a nightmare. Because Sevilla will inevitably, you know, they've qualified for the Champions League. They'll inevitably drop out the group stage and go on and win the Europa League again. That seems to be... Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is whenever Chelsea seem to make the Europa League, all of the typical Europa League big boys are out. Like Sevilla yeah. went out early each time we've been in there. Like we haven't never really had the Milan clubs in there or anything yeah. like that. No, Inter went out to Frankfurt last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so weird because it just seems like every other year when Chelsea are not in it or interested in it, there's a lot better teams in there. 
Um, but that might just kind of be my imagination. But no, I think you're right. I looked at who we when we won the Europa League under Benitez, we played Basel in the semi-finals because they beat Spurs in the quarterfinals. So yeah, we should have been playing Spurs in the semi-finals. So it's it's weird. I think it depends on how serious some teams take. Because I think also last year Inter probably sacked it off to try and qualify for the Champions League through league position. Again. And then they did. Yeah, on the final day, didn't they? Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Now for the top four, which more importantly, go and go, who we think is going to win the league. Jack, what's your top four for next season? Um, City first, Liverpool second, us closing the gap, hopefully, third, and then Arsenal fourth. Fair enough. Tom? So I'm exactly the same, but instead of Arsenal in fourth, United in fourth. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I've got City first, Liverpool second, United, uh, us third, United fourth. I think, you yeah. know, I, I just don't think United will slip out of the top four. And I know Arsenal have looked quite good under Arteta, but I've got, but they've looked impressive against team against the big teams where they can sort of be that bit more defensive. And we, you know, we've seen how they've played against Liverpool and how they've they've not necessarily played on the front foot or traditional Arsenal football under Arteta. And I think something against, I would, yeah, yeah, no, go on, Tom. Sorry, something I would say is. Watching Liverpool since they, I would argue, mathematically won the league, was it when we beat Man City? Yeah. They've not looked as good. And no, true. Something I've read, I think it was by Michael Cox, but then when I thought about it, I completely agreed. These really high-intensity pressing teams only seem to last three or four yeah. seasons at the very top. Now, I saw City were 2-0 down against Blackpool in a friendly the that other was day. Liverpool. That was Liverpool. Liverpool, sorry, did I? Yeah. I think Arsenal. Liverpool, that, that was who I meant. If yeah. they, um, if they continue on that trend, they could have a really, really poor title defence. Mm. And I'm not, you know, some were saying that they, they last season were the best team in Premier League history. Again, I'm not sure I agree no, with that. I don't agree either. But there is a chance that they could very easily become lower than second if they have could. one of those sort of free fall seasons. Yeah. They could and burn out sort of thing. Yeah, burnout. That, that's the best way of saying yeah. it. Again, I'm not... It might be like maybe next season that happens because they've got one more year at the top where they can come first or second. But that's definitely in the offing, particularly mm. with very little investment in that yeah, side. That's, even yeah. when you've won a, even when you've won a title, you need to go out and improve and bring players and in. And they haven't really brought anyone in. Look what happened to us, so... Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, we could give them a run for their money this season, but um, they—you can't deny they've still got quality in there. Yeah, but I think the um, difference—I just—I think the difference between them and us is consistency. Liverpool are just a ruthless winning machine, but on our day, we can beat them. But the problem is, for for all the brilliant results we had last year, and that we did the double over Spurs, we won away at Arsenal, we beat Liverpool in the cup you know, beat United in the Cup, etc. For all those brilliant results, there were losses at home to Southampton, losing twice to West Ham, taking one point from Bournemouth. But that's the difference between them and us is the consistency. And obviously, I think next year, it's more just about trying to close the gap because realistically, yeah. I think we need to have top four secured a long way before the final day for some like, real serious progress. I think we need top three next year for sure. Which is, I'm just going to quickly throw this in. What for you, next year is a good season for Chelsea. What what are your sort of expectations, if you were, for the season ahead? I'll start with you, Jack. Oh, well, I think 
I've heard a lot of people saying, don't be surprised if we don't go and win a trophy. But I'm not sure. I, I think I'd be absolutely gutted if we don't go and win something this season. No, even, if, even if it's a FA Cup or League Cup, we need to get... Frank needs to kick start winning something. Otherwise, people are going to be on... Media are going to be onto his back. People on Twitter, people on this, people on that. Everyone's going to be onto him. Pressure's going to start building. So I think he needs to go out and win win something as soon as possible. So, yeah, but I, we need to win a trophy this season, I think, personally, whether whatever it be. Fair enough. Tom, do you agree with that statement? Um, I agree that if we don't, there'll be a, like a kind of media hoo-ha about Frank Lampard's a bottle job of a manager or whatever, and it'll be all that rubbish. Um, personally, kind of what I would hope for is a kind of best case or up there with the best case, third in the league, securing top four comfortably and closing the gap. One of the two domestic cups, preferably, um, you know, either the league cup or the FA cup, but one of them would be great. And what I think one of the most important ones get to the quarterfinal of the champions league. I mean, we, we haven't got there since 2014 now. And, and, yeah. and I, I, I almost want that to change more than a domestic cup because I've had too much of going out in Europe. Oh, we came second in the group and got knocked out to Barcelona. But it's Barcelona. No, I want... We, we have to, to kind of earn a status as one of the best clubs in Europe. And the only yeah. way we can do that is by going far in the Champions League. We couldn't do it under Conte. We couldn't do it really under Mourinho after that first season where we got to the semis. That has to change as far as I'm concerned. And next season is the team and the time to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. I would love that to be a brilliant European night of a bridge. Unfortunately, we've not really had any of them since 2014. Mm. I guess if, you know, you could throw Ajax in there. But yeah, yeah Frank, but that's a group stage match. Yeah, and at the time. Frankfurt. Yeah, yeah, Frankfurt. You said Frankfurt. That was good. That was a good night, to be fair. Um, but it's not the top yeah, that's, tier. That's, you know, yeah, but that's the farmer's tier. one. So it doesn't, it's irrelevant. <laughs> well, I like, agree. I, I, and I think the fact that, that our club's not made a Champions League quarterfinal. For, you know, I'm not asking for you know, winning it or even making yeah. a semis. A quarterfinal to show yeah. that the team is developing amongst the Definitely. best in Europe. Winning a two-leg knockout Champions League tie. We, yeah. we haven't done that since 2014. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think given the quality we've had in this Chelsea team since then, I think the fact we haven't gone beyond the round of 16 is very, very disappointing. So for sure, I think, and again, you look at Liverpool, when they, although they didn't win a trophy that season, they reached the Champions League final. And that was a clear sign of progress for them. Definitely. So I think for sure we need to try and make a statement because... You know, last year, I think we all kind of accepted getting out of the Champions League group stage was decent because it was a young squad. We didn't necessarily know what to expect. And still annoyed me. Still annoyed me. It was still true. But again, you look at it. I mean, we came second in a group with, you know, Ajax for Champions League semi-finals from the year before, albeit they'd lost a couple of players. Valencia, I agree. We messed up against Valencia big time. But I look at it realistically, would we have beaten Atalanta? That's the one, in theory, we could have got. I don't know. 
they're, they were a very good team. So it, it's tough to say, but I do agree that the Champions League for years we've underperformed in. Yeah, even when we've won the league, we've really underperformed in that. And to not win the group, I mean, when we have been top seeds and then next year we're not going to be top seeds, to not win the group for me is really disappointing. And the reason why we've really struggled. Um, obviously, if you win the group, you can get a PSG or something and, and, and have a good chance of going out. But if you don't win the group, the, the task is so much more difficult. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Um, right, we've discussed sort of our hopes and expectations for the season. Premier League season kicks off next weekend. Chelsea kick off on Monday, the 14th of September. We kick off away at Brighton and Hove Albion. Chelsea, the last two, if you want to know, man, the last two title wins have started on a Monday night, <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone believes in superstition. Um, but it's going to be exciting because it's going to be, the, you know, the first time we see our players in proper competitive action uh, and sort of, the, you know, the real start of the new era at Chelsea. Um, with that in mind, I'm going to ask the lads for what they're starting. I'm going to ask them what their ideal starting eleven would be for Brighton because obviously we don't necessarily know who's going to be it's going to be touch and go really between now and who's available for the start so I'm going to start with Jack presuming you know we you know at this time of recording we haven't got a goalkeeper so it's between Kepper and Willie Um, right so what is your team for Brighton Um, big Willie in goal okay Um, then I'd I'd play Chilwell Thiago Silva and I think I'd actually play Aspi alongside him and then I play Rhys James. Up. Huh? Is Chilwell not injured? Well, I think he's been training, so I don't know. This would be my ideal, and then I can switch it yeah, around no. if you want. Yeah. So I'd go Caballero, Chilwell, Azpilicueta, Thiago Silva, Rhys James. Then I'll have a, a midfield three of Kante holding, Mount as a box-to-box, Havertz as a sort of 10, someone that can push on a bit more. And then... Out of fitness, I think there's no chance Pulisic is going to be fit. So I think I'd I think I'd play Ziyech on the right, and then I think I'd I think I'd give Abraham a chance up top and put Werner on the left wing. That's a decent shout. But but ideally, I would want it the front three to be Pulisic, Werner, Ziyech. Fair enough. That that's a tasty front three. Tom, what about you? <laughs> so I would start Kepper in goal. Because um, I think Caballero is on the way out, basically. I think uh, Pellegrini wants him at Batiste. And once Chelsea do get another keeper in, um, I think Caballero is free to go, to be honest. Kind of thank you and goodbye. Um, So it'd be Kepper and goal. I would probably put Alonso as left back again, because I think Chilwell's injured. I could be wrong. If he's not, obviously Chilwell. Centre-backs, I go Thiago Silva and um, Zuma will go. Right-back, I will go Rhys James. Um, unless the injury that ruled him out of England under-21 is serious, then as P. Um, I would have a double pivot of Kante Kovacic. Um, was suspended. Oh, shoot, he is, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Anthony Taylor. <laughs> oh, that's completely ruined it. So, um, now then, I probably would have to go for the same midfield as Jack. So, go Kante, uh, Mount, 
and Havertz, even though I actually wouldn't have been keen to start Havertz just, just for fitness reasons. But if when needs must, that's what we've got to do. Um, I would then play uh, uh, Hakim Ziyech probably on the right. Hudson Adoy. No, no, I wouldn't. I'd play Hudson Adoy on the right because him and Reese have a little connection. I'd play Ziyech on the left and Werner up top. Fair enough, fair enough. Very nice team. Uh, in goal, it's a toss-up, really. If either start, I'm not going to lose too much sleep. It's an area that needs to be dressed. Hopefully, by then, we'll have that goalkeeper sorted. But at the time of recording, I'm just going to go with Willie because I don't think he's necessarily done anything wrong. Uh, Left-back, since Chilwell's unlikely to play, I don't think, uh, I'll go Alonso. Centre-backs, I'm with you, Thiago Silva and Kurt Zuma. Right-back, I'd go Reese, but I just fancy as people get a game. Uh, and again, I don't really have any problems with that. That midfield, I'm going to agree with. I'm, I would love Havertz to start. I don't think he will. I think we might see him off the bench, maybe last 20, 30 minutes. So my midfield, I think we'll see, and it might be really uninspiring for some, is Kante Mount and one of Ross or Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Oh, I like Ruben. Yeah, for, yeah, for sure, that would be a good shout, I think. And then take Ruben. up front, uh, I'm going to go... I, I'm going to go with uh, Werner on the left, Tammy up top, and Ziyech on right, purely because I don't, I'm not entirely sure Frank will start Callum, and I'm not entirely sure he's still convinced by Callum. I think, you know, he, he clearly knows there's a really talented player there, but I'm not sure he'd be willing to start yeah. in the first Premier League game of the hey, season. You think? I'm, I, I, I think don't think... Oh, I think sorry. if I think if he properly backed Callum, he'd have brought him on against United uh, against Arsenal in the final instead of bringing Pedro on. I know oh, I know there's the argument for experience, but I that think, really annoyed me. I that annoyed me too, Tom. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I I I think if if he was going to do something different there, I think he'd. Well, it depends on Havertz, but in, my, in the team I said, I think he'd play Kante Havertz and then say a Ruben. Or Ross, and then I reckon he'd play Mount on the wing, and then Werner, Ziyech, rather if he didn't want to play Tammy. Yeah, because he's yeah. trusted he's trusted Mount on the wing many times, and, and I think he loves Mount, so I think he'd play him over playing someone like Callum. To be honest, what I would say as well that annoys me tactically with Loftus Cheek, and I'd worry if Loftus was was starting a game. I don't like how Lampard's used Loftus either on the wing that particularly annoys no, me. I agree with that. Or as a number 10. I think Loftus is better than that. And for Lampard to not trust him as as a number eight in the way that he was he was brilliant there in the uh eighteen nineteen season. If, if Loftus Cheek plays, I want to see him in that number eight role with uh, Mason Mount on the other side and Kante just sort of in behind. That's what I want to see. And I, I think from what, what from what you're saying, that's what you'd want to see. I, uh, what you want to see as well. Yeah. I just worry that that might not happen. Yeah, so. no, it, it's tough. It's just tough because obviously we've signed Havertz late on in the window, so he's not really had time with the team. So I'm just wary that he'll, you know, I'm wary of him starting the game. Obviously, in in, in an ideal world, he starts for me too. But I just think that we'll see that people might perhaps be in for a bit of a surprise, you know, on the open day. I think it, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if the midfield three is Kante, Mason Mount, and one of Ross or Ruben. But I, on, 
that wouldn't surprise me to be fair. If that's for midfield three for the opening oh, day. Have you seen have you seen any photos of Ross in training though? I've not I seen anything. It's I think he's been with the kids. Is Someone it, okay. said that there was a picture of him, Bakioko and Drinkwater, I think it was, or him Emma it was like him, Drinkwater and So basically the sort of lone group or group that are gonna kids. go elsewhere. Yeah. Hey, that's interesting. That's it, very I could be wrong. Yeah. And it might not have been him, it might have been somebody else. But off the top of my head, I seem to remember it being Ross. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, Ross is sort of Ross is an enigma because Frank, Frank started him against City when we beat City 2-1. I remember talking to Jack before the lineups went out and I was like, this is either going to go really well or we're going to get battered. And thank, thankfully it went well. He's so good in his day as well. It's yeah. upsetting. Yeah, no, I, can, I completely agree with you, Tom. He's, he, on his day, he's brilliant. He, you know, we saw, we saw glimpses of that. You know, the Everton game before lockdown, the Liverpool game in the Cup. But it's, you know, it's not often enough and he's not consistent enough. And who knows, maybe he can be used in a make weight for Declan Rice. We'll see. We can hope. Mm. Um, right, boys, that's going to conclude today's episode. I just want to say a big thanks once again to Tom for coming on. Uh, Tom, you know, obviously, in case anyone doesn't know who you are, do you want to just drop drop your Twitter out and just, you know, sort of tell people, you know, if they follow you on Twitter, what sort of, you know, stuff to expect? So I'm at Tovers98, so T-Overs98. Um, I normally just tweet my rubbish opinions about football and cricket and see what people think. Um, 16,000 seem to like it, but a lot <laughs> don't, I assume. Um, and I run the All Things Chelsea website. Again, if you're interested in writing for us, let me know over Twitter. Um, I'm always open looking for new writers. Um, and check out Twitter at All Things Chelsea underscore as well. Nice one, nice one. Jack, it's a pleasure as always. It's been a while since the last one, but the season's starting up now. Looking forward to an exciting campaign ahead. Uh, if you are, you know, if you probably, if you've come over from Tom, listen to this episode, make sure you drop us a follow on Twitter at that Chelsea pod on Instagram at that Chelsea podcast. We're on all your podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, etc. Um, leave us a review if you want. Really it helps us, you know, helps more people discover us. And uh, until the next episode, everybody keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.